We are in a series called, If You're Not Ready, You're Perfect. Uh, we've been talking about how many times in scripture, God will use uh, people who feel not ready. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the scripture, uh, the Bible stories you see, that's all these people when God shows up and says, hey, I got a call on your life. I got a purpose. I want to use you. Uh, I'm going to help you or I'm going to use you to reach people. Most people say, hold up. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. And, um, and God uses them anyway, because how many know when we're weak is when he gets to be strong, is uh, in our weakness, is in our not having it all put together. Uh, God gets to step in and be God and work through us. And so we've been taking a look at it uh, over the next couple of weeks, what it looks like. Uh, we put this tagline on here, pursuing your purpose, even when it's intimidating. The reality is, the truth is, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Yeah. You know, you're not meant to just run out the clock until it's time to get to heaven. Uh, you know, I say it this way all the time, you know, that the enemy, Satan, hell, is not intimidated at all about a room full of people coming and just sitting and watching church happen. If a whole bunch of people come together and they're, and they're hearing the worship go and they're hearing the pastor preach, but it doesn't mobilize them to go out and make a difference, that doesn't make hell sweat at all. But if people come together and they come to a place and they hear God's word and they hear his truth and they become doers and they get active and they go operating in that, that is a church that makes hell intimidated. Can I get an amen today? And so that is our pursuit. We're saying, hey, God, we want to be a people uh, that live in our full purpose. We discover all that you have for us. Uh, I wrote it down this way. The church needs to be a church that demonstrates its values, not just describes them. Churches all over the place have mission statements and value statements and all these things we put on our social media and our website. We describe all of these different things, but we're living in a time and an hour where the world is waiting to see uh, the church demonstrate who God has called us to be in this hour that we live. Amen? Amen. We need to stop articulating the power of God and we need to start activating it. Well, one day God's going to move and he's going to change this nation and he's going to make a difference all over the world and he's going to do it and God's going to do it. And, his, and I believe that God's going to do it, but it's time to start allowing God to activate it in us so that we can go be what he's called us to be. Amen. So before we get too far along, let's, uh, let's jump and let's pray. Uh, before we get into the full sermon. But I encourage you to get out your phones, get out your notes, and, um, and, and write this stuff down. I think this is a sermon that we can all find ourselves in. And so take some notes, let God speak to you. That's one of the ways that we move from uh, just talking about it to activating it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you are moving among us. God, we sense your presence here already in this time together. And God, we are we're willing, we're open. Lord, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, we're saying, God, speak to us so that we can go be empowered people to be the doers that you called us to be. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I love the Bible. Obviously, as a pastor, you, you got to kind of love the Bible, right? Uh, but I love the Bible. I love it in a way that um, it's not just like a rule book. You know, reading the scripture for me or looking at God's truths, it's not like, well, uh, we got to take a look at this stuff. It's like taking our vitamins. We just got to get it done and get it over with. No, God's, God's word, his truths, uh, it's life. He's the way, the truth, he's life. So all of this is alive and, and it helps us live the better kind of life. It also helps us understand ourselves and, and know our purposes. And so what I love about this message, this passage I'm going to share with you, it's one of my favorite passages. It's one of my favorite stories, mostly because it's so relatable. It takes the Bible from being a story to be like, oh, I get that guy. What Moses does here, which we're going to look at, I think all of us kind of row the same boat that Moses does here. And I'm not a gotcha preacher. I don't like to be a guy like gotcha. Uh, but I'm telling you in this passage right here, this story we're going to look at, it, it's got a gotcha for every single one of us. 
all of us are going to find ourselves in this story. And so uh, I want us to be people uh, who can dig in and find ourselves and see what God would say in it. Uh, my son, last week, uh, he came to me after second service. I was in my office, and uh, he came in out of kids' ministry. He's seven. He said, Dad, I want to tell you today's Bible verse. And I was like, okay, bud. And just being honest with you, he's kind of hit or miss on them. Sometimes he knows them, sometimes he doesn't. And, um, and so he comes in, he says, hey, I want to tell you this. And he says, oh, and, and, and those who put their hand to the plow and they don't give up, they'll receive a harvest. And he's like preaching this thing. I said, yeah, dude, that's a good one. I said, actually, that's one of my favorite ones. I said, you see that Bible over there on that bookshelf? I got a, a custom made Bible and you get to pick what's on the cover of it. And it was that verse. I said, dude, buddy, that's one of my favorite verses. Um, that's what really good one. He was like, yeah. And then he said, well, what are some of your other favorite ones? And I knew I'd be preaching this sermon. I said, well, there's this crazy story about this guy named Moses. And, uh, and so uh, I said, I love it, buddy, because you can, you can find yourself in the story. So I hope that you do that today when we look at this. What I love about Moses, we're going to pick up the story right now. Moses, he's in a season of life where he's feeling defeated. Uh, he's feeling just kind of like, I don't know what to do in this season of my life. He's actually, all he's doing at this time is he's, um, he's taking care of his father-in-law's flock. This is the passage where we see he's out in the desert. The burning bush is about to speak to him. But he's not feeling like the big Bible guy that you see on TV, the Ten Commandments. You watch the movie about Moses. We paint him as this big hero guy. But he's kind of in a discouraged season. Uh, I said it really weird in the first service. I said, as a matter of fact, Moses, uh, I said he had actually murdered somebody and he wasn't feeling very good about it, which I was like, do you ever murder people and feel good about it? I was like, I don't know why I said it that way. But he had this heaviness uh, on his life at this time of this, this murder that he committed. And uh, so kind of had this really weird season of life that he was in. And so here he is feeling defeated. I think we can find ourselves in this story where he's going like, oh, I don't know what's really going on. He's in this weird season. And then this burning bush, it wasn't a vision. It wasn't like God gave some kind of picture to him. It was a literal burning bush shows up to him. Now, being in a desert, some might say, oh, maybe that bush just caught on fire because of heat or other things. No, they say this was a continuous burning moment. This was a bush that was like, hey, God's getting your attention. Now, again, we think about Moses. Oh, he's this great Bible guy. He probably looked out to this burning bush, this supernatural moment and thought, you know, in Old Testament voice, thou bush. Why do you burn us? Tell me what you would, you know, you'd think it'd be this big thing. But the, the reality of the story is he was freaked out by it. This moment of this burning bush, this supernatural encounter, this, this thing, it, it gets his attention in this big way. What I love about this is uh, in this moment, I wrote it down like this. Sometimes in life, because he's had a relationship with the Lord, he's walked with the Lord before. But for some reason, God needed to give him this spectacular, unusual moment. And I think there's times in our life where we're walking through life and we're going through seasons of our life where God wants to do a spectacular or an unusual thing. And it's important for us to be a people who pay extra attention to that. Let me give you an example. Maybe for you, you're just going through life, you're going through a season, and for some reason, God just lights up a cause that you've never even thought about before. Maybe for some of you as fostering, or maybe for you as the love for a child camp or kids hope, or maybe the hand to hand thing. Like who knows how God has maybe already used you in this church, but many of us have the story of like you were going through your Christian walk. And then for some reason, there was an unusual or a spectacular moment that just lit up to you. I'm here to say God does that because he wants to get extra attention for us to pay extra attention to it. Can I get an amen today? He wants to do things. I thought about like for us, you know, many of us, we're a lot like Moses. I'm thinking, why didn't God send a prophet? Why didn't he send the evangelist? Why didn't he send a, a pastor with a message to say, hey, Moses, by the way, um, God wants to use you to go uh, set all your people free. 
you know, Pharaoh's got them all enslaved and uh, God wants to set them all free. Why didn't he just send a regular messenger guy? Because Moses is a lot like us. He was probably pretty good at that time of ignoring the pastor, ignoring the message, ignoring the evangelist. Sometimes we need that supernatural encounter to come from God. And I'm praying that some of us get that here today through this message. Amen. Exodus chapter three is where we pick it up. We see God is now speaking through the burning bush in Exodus 3, and it says this. It says, I have come down to rescue them. Again, Moses' people are in captivity. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the land flowing with milk and honey. Now Moses is going like, yes, this is awesome. We want this. God's going to provide. Verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression from which the Egyptians oppressed them. At this point, Moses is like, yeah, I knew it. God was going to step in and make all this right. All this evil is going to go away. I know, sick them, God. You get them, God. And then the verse goes on in verse 10, and God says, come now, therefore, I will send you. Who does he choose to do it through? You. We see an oppressed land. We see people caught in captivity. We see people stuck in darkness. And many a times the church is praying, oh God, go get them. Oh God, I need you to go get those people. God, go set those people free. God, go do that. And the way that God always does it, he says, come now, therefore, I'm going to use you. He uses us. He uses his people to set his people free. God's commission and his plan has always been to use people. Look at the great commission. In the Great Commission, he says, hey, I need you to go into the highways, the byways. I need you to baptize people. I need you to do all these kind of things. But who's he going to send? You. He's going to send me. He's going to send you. And, And it's the same thing today. We wish that, oh, God, we're living in dark times. God, we're living in an evil land. God, we need you to come and set all the people free. And God's like, I need you to co labor with me to go set the captives free. I wish it could just be the worship band. Oh, God, just send the worship band forward and set all the people free. Let's see restoration on our land. Let's use, oh, how about Joel Osteen? Let's send Joel Osteen. He looks good on camera. We'll send him out there, and he'll go set all the captives free. We'll leave it up to Joel. No, no, he uses people. He uses me and you every single time. Can I get a good amen today? He uses us. Moses responded. What I love about Moses is he responded with five excuses, which is insane. Could you imagine a human being actually offering back an excuse to God? Surely none of us would ever have like a moving or a stirring on our heart. Maybe God's wanting to use us and move us into something. Surely no one ever in this age would ever offer back a, hey, I'm kind of busy right now. Five excuses Moses offers back. We're going to take a look at before we close. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Translation, I'm a nobody. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Point number one that I want us to walk away with today is this. We must eliminate the excuse that we are not good enough. God wants to use you. You're called. You, you've been designed. You're, you're, you're created on purpose for a pers- purpose. One of the things we must do is we must eliminate the excuse, I'm a nobody. Religion does a really good job of trying to get you to feel like a nobody. Oh, God only uses special people. Oh, God really only uses the people who went to Christian school, especially here in West Michigan. Oh, Holland Christian people, Zealand Christian people. uh, Those are the people that God uses. The really smart people that went to Christian college, that's who God uses to change the world. The really talented, oh, they grew up in church. Those are the people who who God really uses. I love that God didn't even acknowledge Moses' response. He goes on to say this in verse 12. So he said to him, 
certainly I'll be with you. He's like, I, I know you're ordinary. I, I know that you don't have it all together, but that's not what matters. What matters is that I'm with you. Can I get an amen today? God's qualification of you isn't to have it all put together, not for you to be perfect, not to have all your ducks in a row, not to have everything lined up. What matters is that is when you're being obedient, it's God who's co-laboring with you. Can I get an amen? He said, I'll certainly be with you. You're sitting here today and you're thinking, ah, oh, there's no way. I'm a nobody. I'm not good enough. Maybe you're thinking like, oh, God, I would love for you to use me. I would love to be a part of your work in the kingdom. But man, like I got all this stuff piling up and I got bills and I got extra work I got to do. And I don't know how I, I got all that. And God's like, ah, I'm with you and all that. Oh, God, I would love to serve you and use you and, and be used by you for purpose. Uh, but, but, but my marriage, I got all this stuff. And God's like, ah, I know I'm with you in that, too. Oh, but God, you don't understand. I got, I got depression and anxiety and I don't feel like I'm well. And it's not time for you to use me. I'm not perfect. God's like, ah, I know I'm with you. I'm with you in all that. God doesn't call us to be perfect. Can I get an amen today? God is not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for ordinary people who will trust an extraordinary God. It's not your responsibility to have it all together. It's, it's your responsibility to trust a God who has it all together. It's just like what Canon said. We serve a God who knows the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, and he works all of it together for his glory. Can I get an amen today? He does it. He moves. It's not our responsibility. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? Point number two, we must eliminate the excuse, I don't know what to say. This is a pressure that we all face. Uh, we feel like we want to go spread the gospel or give our testimony, or maybe we want to go encourage someone and speak hope into their life. And you feel like you have that inkling, that nudge to go do that thing. And then all of a sudden the enemy comes in and it's like, what are you even going to say to them? What are we even going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. And we get all worried. Can I tell you something as a pastor? There's a whole bunch of times that I study and I pray and I put things together and I think, God, I need you to say something. I need you to speak through me. I, need, I, I don't have all what I'm going to say put together. And there'll be times that I'm preaching, I'm going, where's this coming from? It's because God is the one who speaks through us. Amen. I also thought about there's these really hard meetings that I'll have. People in really hopeless situations, and I'm sitting right before the meeting thinking, what am I going to say? How can I bring any hope to this? How can I bring any encouragement? This looks so bleak. This looks so dark. This looks so heavy. How am I even going to be able to say anything? What can I? So I understand what it is to say, how do I even have anything to say? God answers it in verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. God has sent me to you. What he's trying to say here is, listen, when you show up on that scene, what you need to be declaring is the good news is here. The good news of the gospel, hope is here to you. Uh, I wrote it down this way, uh, Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Who's the one that's going to be talking? Who's the one who's got something to say? It's the Christ on the inside of us that's going to manifest in our conversations. I don't know what I can say. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's the Christ on the inside of us. It says this, the life I now live in the body, uh, it says I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. What's our call to action here? Our call to action here is that we live by faith. We step out in faith. We let God use us in faith. Amen? Amen. Number three, point number three, our excuse is we must eliminate the excuse they won't believe. Oh, but they won't believe. Exodus chapter four, 
gets into this. I know we're in a time right now with all of the different um, beliefs and all of the different agendas. And I, even as a pastor who studies the word and studies all of these different things, I, I'm tempted with the like, God, how are we going to get them to believe? There's so much out there. How are we going to get an atheist or an agnostic or all of the different kind of agendas that are out there? How would we ever get them to believe? And God gives us such a great picture right here in Exodus chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Verse two. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. Verse three. And he cast it to the ground. So when he cast it to the ground, it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. See, Moses is a smart, godly man. When he sees a snake, he flees from it. Some of you weirdos that aren't afraid of snakes. This is the biblical response to seeing a snake. You should scream and run. That's appropriate. Because in Genesis, we see snakes are bad. In Cinderella, we see cats are evil. They're called Lucifer. <clears throat> we got to really pick up on what the Lord's trying to say here. Uh, and you, some of you are like, hypocrite. You're saying hypocrite to me. Um, and that's because here's, wanna know, here's how you know you're living in the end times. I'm telling you, the rapture is very near. Like, I'm not even sure if we're going to make it to the end of the day. That's how close we are to the end times. And here's how I know that's truth. Is because for the last couple months, we've actually had a, a cat living in our house. I'm just confessing it feels good for me to tell you. Um, we have a cat living in our house. And here's why I know the rapture is so close. Because I actually spend the most time with the cat. It's kind of my cat. <laughs> we don't know where it came from. I think one of you put it on our porch. <laughs> and this is what's more bizarre about it. The girls, you know, the girls are cute and they do cute things. <laughs> so they named this cat. It has, they named this cat Mittens. And it has no markings of mittens. There's no mittens on it at all. <laughs> and just so you know this, when you're hypothetically driving down the road in your Ford F-150 pickup truck and you see this cat named Mittens a few houses down the road in the ditch, and you roll down your window, hypo hypothetically, of course, somebody, and you start yelling, Mittens, come home, Mittens. <laughs> mittens, I'm home. Um, it just doesn't play well on the man card. And I saw my neighbor doing that. Um, so this is confession time. I feel better now. But back to my point, snakes and cats. I mean, just not a good thing. So he says this. He, he flees from it. Throws this, he's got this staff throws it down. God gives him this bizarre instruction. He has this problem. How are they going to believe? How are they going to believe? What if they don't understand? What if they don't believe what I'm saying? What if they don't believe? What should I do? And God says, hey, throw that stick on the ground. And it turns into a snake. Moses takes off. The next passage says, then the Lord says to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand again. The lesson that God's trying to give Moses here is it's not your job to do the supernatural. Yeah. It's only our job to be obedient to God's commands. Amen. He's trying to say, watch this. Watch what happens when you're obedient. You do something in the natural and obedience and watch me do something supernaturally. Uh, what I love about this sort of lesson that God's given him to here is God said, hey, I need you to take it by the tail. Take it by the end. Essentially, God is saying, hey, you handle the little end. I'll take care of the big end. 
God could have said, oh, try to grab it by the mouth, try to grab it by the thing, try to grab it by the big thing. It's not our job to solve all the big, scary things. God's saying, hey, you just handle the little things in obedience and I'll take care of the big things. Can I get an amen? So Moses in verse 10 says this, then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before or after you have spoken to me. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Point number four I wrote down is we must eliminate the excuse, I have things holding me back. Moses is saying, oh, you don't understand. I got things that are holding me back. Uh, my life's messy right now. I can't serve. I can't step out in my purposes. I can't, I can't be a part of what, what, what God is doing in my community because I got some things holding me back. I have disadvantages. Maybe the enemy's whispered in your ear, no, God can't use you. God can't build anything in your life. You got all those disadvantages working against you. And, 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 and God is saying, no, no, no. I can use you. Are you not ready? You don't feel perfect? I can use you. Some of you have bought the lie, oh, I'm too old. I've missed my day. It's been too long. God can't use you. He can't establish me. I've just missed my moment in the time with the Lord. No, the scripture says in the last days, it's going to be the young and the old working together to see the harvest. Can I get amen today? So verse 11, so he says, so he says that I'm, I got all these disadvantages. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? God's response is like, who made you? God says, I made you, I created you, I equipped you. Think how interesting that is. The scripture says that God knows us from the beginning to the end. And so God calls us into something. You say, no, God, I have disadvantages. He's like, are you trying to, t- I, I know. Like I created you, I see you, I see the beginning and the end. God knows where we are. Verse 13, but then he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Translation, Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else, which is my last excuse. Point number five, we must eliminate the excuse someone else is better qualified. Someone else is better qualified. He says, uh, Lord, please send anybody else but me. Someone else is better qualified. I wonder how often Christians look and they say, oh, I would love to sign up and serve in kids' men, but there's probably someone better qualified. Oh, I'd love to join the prayer team, but I saw that other person praying and they pray better than me, so they're better qualified. Oh, I'd love to serve in Kids Hope, or I'd love to be a part of Hand to Hand. I'd love to be a part of these things, but I think that person over there is better qualified, so maybe they should do it. We need to eliminate the excuse of somebody else is better qualified. It's one of the few times in Scripture we actually read of God getting mad. Scripture says in verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. One of the few times in Scripture we see God got mad because he said, please send somebody else, anybody else but me essentially rejecting God using him for his purposes. God's design all the way to the Great Commission is for God to use you and you and you and you to bring about his kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen. I thought about right now, the beginning of the story says that from heaven, God speaks. I've heard the pain and the cries and the torture of this generation of your people. I wonder if God is in that same position right now, looking down on our culture, saying, I see the pain, the tears, the cry, the torture of this generation. I see that there's record suicide. I see that there's record in historic uh, overdoses. I see that there's record clinical depression and anxiety and hopelessness. And he's saying, I'm not going to swoop in and do it all. Instead, I'm going to choose you to be the answer. Can I get an amen? He said, I've heard the cry. Now go. God needs us to do more than just sit in church. 
And so today I want to propose to you, you got these little cards here. Uh, we believe in equipping the church. We believe uh, that, that a powerful church is not hundreds of people coming to hear a sermon. Again, it's hundreds of people finding their gifts and their purposes and going and using them in the community. One of the church stats that I think is just so horrible is they say that the average church, check this out, the average church, 10% of the congregation does 90% of the work. 10% of the congregation does 90% of the serving and, and all of the kind of work. And we work hard as a church to make sure that that balance isn't there. And can I tell you, our numbers as of late have gotten a little lopsided. Our numbers have gotten to the point where it's like, hey, we're seeing a lot more of the same serving. And uh, we believe in equipping and empowering people. And so I want to jump into this for you. You got this serve card right here. I want to explain a few of these areas and then we'll wrap up with a couple more points. But maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, hey, I'm somebody who's just kept offering excuses. I didn't feel qualified. I, I, I didn't feel, maybe you connect with Moses. I'm here to tell you, hey, you may not feel perfect. You may not feel ready, uh, but God wants to use you in a great way. But let me close with these last thoughts right here. Uh, I wrote it down like this. God isn't looking for ability. Am I good enough? Do I have enough ability to serve and be a part of these? God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Somebody who's just willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And I wrote this down. This is something that we believe. Great preaching doesn't fill a church. Great preaching empties a church. What that means is this. Great preaching doesn't fill an auditorium where a bunch of people hear. Great preaching is a preacher who takes people and encourages them and sends them out, empties the house because they get enacted and they become serving in what God has for them. Amen? Let me pray for you and we'll dismiss. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you're going to use us. God, we do want to be co-laborers with you. Lord, the, the, the common phrase of we want to be your hands, your feet, into our communities. God, all these different areas we've spoke of and even others that you've placed on our hearts. God, I pray that you give us the, the boldness to step out and be obedient so that you can be supernatural in our natural. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.